Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to the World of Wild podcast. Pete Davidson here as always. Uh, and today we've got a special Fantasy Highland um, episode of the pod with Pat Fitzmorris and myself. Uh, we're going to be sipping a little Maker's Mark and some Elijah Craig. We will endeavor to uh, discover which one we like the best. I actually know, but I'm not going to tell you now. Um, we're also going to be talking uh, some fantasy football over the next 30 to 40 minutes, having a little fun with that, sipping the whiskey, going over some some Aaron Rodgers takes, uh, a little bit from Pittsburgh Steelers, some Julio Jones, some other stuff. Um, and then um, somewhere around the 35-minute mark or so, we veer into music. We never really come back. Um, hey, we're drinking whiskey. We're having a good time. Um, and we each sort of put together our own uh, dream festival lineup. We get to get, we uh, talk about our favorite uses of songs and movies. Um, and as we go along, you'll sort of notice I, I pick up steam like as I sort of figured out what I was doing. But um, I had a little fun with the editing. I actually threw in some examples of the, of the songs we were talking about. Um, I don't know. I think it came out pretty good. So, you know, listen for as long as you can hang in. Uh, I definitely recommend grabbing a glass of something you enjoy. Um, and, you know, kick back and enjoy my uh, conversation with the great, the one and only, the venerable, Pat Fitzmorris. Okay, Roto Bonners and uh, friends of the Fantasy Highland Podcast, welcome back. It's been a while. Uh, my bad on the whole wild thing. Uh, but to make things up for you all, uh, we got a really good guest today, uh, Pat Fitzmorris um, of uh, the Football Girl and Football Guys. He is uh, a ranker extraordinaire, um, top ranker in the uh, fantasy uh, pros uh, contest last year in 2020. Uh, Pat's a music buff, a rock and roll buff, uh, an all around good guy, a good Twitter guy. Um, and uh, welcome back to the show, Pat. How you doing, buddy? Oh, Pete, uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation all weekend. <laughs> Just had you <laughs> on I my show, right? and what's that? Did I get all that right? Okay. You did. You did. No, okay. that was a, a clean introduction. I appreciate the kind <laughs> words. And um, yeah, man, we had a really good conversation just last week on my show. So it's uh, great to be doing the home and home with you. Yeah, the home and home. That's exactly what we're doing. Um, and we're the one thing we're going to be doing today that we didn't do last week is we're going to you know, push the limits of sobriety deprivation, if you will. Um, we're we're going we're gonna to be doing two whiskeys today. We're going to be talking about two similar whiskeys, actually, two American um, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskeys. They're both sort of um, small batch uh, style whiskeys. Um, one is Elijah Craig and the other is Maker's Mark. Um, now, Pat, you are sort of just getting into like the whole whiskey journey. You, you, you like, you know, manhattans and stuff like that but you're you're new to sipping is do, do i have that right yeah that's kind of it um like i'm mostly a beer and wine guy admittedly sure. i mean I'm, I'm from milwaukee so beer always comes first uh but <laughs> admittedly you yeah like exactly. it's a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know my uh i've had different people get me into wine over the years uh but I, i've had like little bouts of of whiskey binging like where i've uh, been on like three golf trips to scotland and after the first one ah. we didn't really drink much whiskey we kept it to beer and and the second trip we're like why didn't we drink any scotch when we were there the first time like let's make it a point every time we go into a pub we we have to try at least one kind of scotch and and often it was more than one and uh yeah you got to do it yeah and uh d obviously a different style and um you know certainly a lot of styles within the style like you know super peaty super smoky oh, yeah. like different um 
Yeah, different flavors there for sure, and that was that was a lot of fun. But um, you know, I'll, I'll, my wife, my wife and I are talking about going to Scotland, and we want to basically just go, pretty much to visit distilleries. Yeah, man. <laughs> I, oh God, and, like up in the Highlands and stuff, and the scenery that, is spectacular we, too. We want to do um, Isla, which is an island. They've got that's where a lot of the peated whiskeys are made. We we, we definitely want to do there. We were watching this thing where they actually have like little bike trails where you can you can just like ride your bike from one distillery to the other oh that's awesome yeah yeah so i'm sorry go ahead go ahead i was just going to say that could be a really entertaining bike ride after a couple distillery (laughs) visits yeah i think obviously you want to do maybe one or two distilleries a day or something like that you don't want to try to knock them all off in a single day or you knock yourself off in the process um so um so this is cool. So you're, we're sort of like trying to get you started here. And these are two good whiskeys to try because either one of them um, makes for a pretty good, you know, what someone would call like a daily dram, that bottle that you have lying around. Sure. I feel like having a sip of whiskey, boom, I've got it. It's right there. Um, both of these are good daily drams because they're affordable and they're of reasonable um, quality. So listen, before I sit there and waste time talking about whiskey let's um you got your bottle of elijah i do because those are decent corks on them let's do the celebratory uncorking so i'll give you a little three two one and we'll uncork you ready yep all right three two one yeah my yours was yours was better than mine okay <laughs> so, so now i already poured my makers right before we started recording now i'm pouring some elijah and what i'm going to do is go back and forth between the two and see if i can start to sense the difference for what it's worth i mean these are definitely similar whiskeys they're both american bourbons they're kentucky straight bourbon whiskey they're both sort of small batch um the one place where you see a real difference is in the mash bill which is sort of like the recipe if you will um they're both heavy on the corn all american bourbons are going to be heavy on the corn Uh, but elijah craig is your your traditional rye is the third ingredient like corn barley and then their rye which is pretty common maker's mark on the other hand is a weeded bourbon so that that's where the real difference in the flavor profile should be it should be the the difference between the rye and the wheat we should taste more rye with craig and we should taste the wheat with the makers um both of these present pretty similarly um elijah craig's 47 percent alcohol 94 proof makers is 45 or 90 proof so these are, you know, it's a pretty fair fight. Both of them are aged in the six-year range. Elijah talks about having some more mature casks um, in some of their stuff. I think Makers is pretty pretty much six years, most of the, the barrels in their stuff. Um, so these are going to be similar. Um, so why don't we just jump in? I'm going to grab, I'm just going to grab a sip of Makers right off the bat. Yeah. Same old stuff. It's good stuff. Why don't you grab in on one of those, big guy? All right. I just had uh, a little Elijah. There you go. And um, now I'm going to jump onto Elijah. Yeah, they're different for sure. And you can taste the rye. Like when you go to the Elijah Craig, that, that different taste is the rye. Well, you'll be doing it in reverse. Yes. Um, okay. Go ahead. Sorry, buddy. No, I was just going to say. You can hear my voice. I've got whiskey on my voice. <laughs> <laughs> just had a little sip of Elijah, and uh, I, I think I 
maybe prefer the Elijah. Like I like both, and I'm I'm more familiar with makers, but um, okay, I'm I'm an Elijah fan of these two as well. Um, but you know they're both they're both you know of similar quality, I would say. So listen, we're gonna go back and forth. The two of us, we're gonna sip these things, and hopefully I'll remember to uh, bring it up periodically throughout this show, um, and we'll talk about them at the end as well. Being that you're a Packers fan. I know the Rodgers thing is sort of <laughs> discussed into the into the turf at this point. It's just been hammered into the frozen tundra over and over again. But since you're since you're a Packers guy, so let's let's approach this from a couple angles. If you could give me your brain response, your pure fantasy football take, but then give me your Packers fan instinct as well, because I think both to me both would have some relevance. Yeah, so a little bit, uh, I guess, brain instinct. I kind of see where Rodgers is coming from. Um, just like when you have a guy who is that essential to the franchise, to not give him even the slightest heads up that you were considering a pretty aggressive move for a quarterback in that yeah. draft that, you know, signals you're, you're sort of planning for the future with him because, you know, why would you draft a quarterback and keep him around and, and waste his – rookie salary. I mean, that's the benefit you derive from drafting a quarterback in the first round, getting this guy to that cheap rookie deal for, you know, the, the four or five year window. Yeah. So it seems like they were sort of plotting a move and uh, you know, I didn't hear this, but I was told that Alex Smith was recently on a podcast. I don't know if it was Pat McAfee or something else. And um, you know, McAfee or uh, Smith said that he, got a heads up from the chiefs that they were, you know, thinking about drafting a quarterback and that they kind of wanted mm-hmm. the homes. So, and, and, you know, Alex Smith is certainly not as essential was not as essential to the franchise as Aaron Rodgers right. yet. He gets that courtesy. Um, so I can understand why he was miffed about that. Uh, and then like little tweaks, like talking up, uh, Kumaro, Jay Kumaro, the wide receiver, and then the next day he's right. released after he specifically said he liked Jay Kumaro, and the very next day he gets his walking papers. Exactly. So, you know, I can see these things when you're a guy who's been as uh, critical to the the franchise's success as Rodgers has been, and you would think that, like, wouldn't it be to your benefit to include him and? In, talk about you know what you might do in a draft like who right what receivers do you think you know might mesh well with you and your style what do you like guys precise route runners guys who can win in the air like you would think they would talk this through with him and to your point i mean the courtesy that it's extended to smith let's let's just call it a courtesy right i mean why even if you go to aaron and say look we want to develop defensively. We want to do some different things. We, we're not necessarily going to make you happy, but we just want you to understand why we're doing it. Right. You know, that, you know, I mean, just little stuff like that. And, and look, is Rogers maybe a little quirky? Sure. Maybe he is. Is he a difficult guy? I don't know. Maybe he is, but none of that should matter to the Packers. I mean, first of all, if he's difficult, you can get rid of him. He wants to leave. So <laughs> You know, it's, it seems to me the Packers are the ones with the problems here. The, you know, the, the old, you know what, or get off the pot. Like, if they want Rodgers, they should keep him the right way. And if they don't, get rid of him the right way. Yeah, um, well, well said, Pete. I mean, you 
so yes, he may have diva tendencies and and that's not to say that you definitely want to just appease him whatever move you make. But if you're going to do something that might ruffle his feathers, take a quarterback, go heavy on defense in a draft, like why not at least tell him like hey, look, we're really trying to get this right on defense. We're Exactly. You know, for your we, own benefit. Like yes. you can hate the guy with all your might, but you're still if you if your plan is to keep him as your quarterback, you want to keep him in such a way where the the wheels aren't going to come off the wagon, which is what we're seeing right now. And now they're going to be in this weird stare down where if they lose it, I mean, I, I mean, it, we have this insane scenario where Rodgers isn't playing football this year, which is nuts. I, I, I do you have a like if if this stare down happens, do you have a a feel as a Packers fan, as a Rodgers fan? You know, if they say you play for us or you don't play at all, where do you think Rodgers is opening day? Yeah, I don't think he's going to get into a game of chicken like that. At Sorry eight. to put you on the spot. No, no, that's okay. I I just kind of don't think um, he would play that game of chicken at his age. And having before expressed. Do so you think he would eventually come in? Yeah, like I I think he would come in, but then I think he would be gone after after this year. With like he would take his opportunity to bail out next year for sure if he was given the ultimatum. And I I do get the sense that the Packers are trying to you know mend fences as as best they can. Um, yeah, and and it's it's it's, it's tough, right? Because it, they're a, they're a very original organization in terms of how things work, right? It's 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 not like the owner can come down and tell the GM make nice with Rodgers. It doesn't really work that way in Green Bay. Am I wrong? No, you're right. And this is kind of, it gets to why I think he will not be traded ultimately, Pete, because of the mm-hmm. unique ownership structure. I mean, technically I'm an owner. Uh, I got some, uh, uh, <laughs> sorry, I got the, sorry, I the paper, the stock certificate from my dad for a, a birthday gift like 20 years ago. So technically, yeah, unfortunately. No, that's, that's like technically I'm an owner of like Lafroy Brewery. I bought like a square, <laughs> a square, a square foot of peat, like, like five years ago or something like that. But anyway, keep going. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. So, uh, (laughs) but basically I don't think Brian Gutekunst, the general manager really has the ability to act unilaterally here. If he wanted to entertain a trade, I think he would have to get sign off from uh, the team president, Mark Murphy. And I think Mark Murphy, who is, is one member of a seven person executive committee, which is a subset of like a 40 plus person board of directors, which is a subset of then there's people like you. Yeah, then there are me, you know, the, the goons like me yelling from the rafters at the uh, annual stockholders meeting up in Lambeau every summer. But um, no, I don't actually attend that. But you know, it, I, I've attended one. It's it's an interesting but, experience. But I tell you what, real quick, let's, let's we we want to get through this football. Sure. You and I could sit here on the five football questions and kill this whole pod. But you and I both have selfish reasons why we don't want to do that. So. Let me let's do a little rapid fire on Rodgers okay. if you're up for it. Yeah. If you're up for it. First question. And I think we already have the answer. It sounds like you think Rodgers is playing in Green Bay. Yes. Okay. Second question. If Rodgers is playing somewhere else, what do you think the value of Devontae is? Do you think do you, like I assume you I assume that you like everybody else thinks he's a reasonable mid first round pick with Rodgers. Yes. Um, without Rodgers, does he drop to the second to the third? What do you think? 
late second. Let's say late okay. second. Yeah, I'm with you, by the way. Uh, I think people are overreacting um, because on some level, let's not kid ourselves, part of the value with this player's volume, and if Rodgers goes, I don't think the volume would necessarily go down. Um, so you you lose some of those wonderful nuance throws, but you'd still get the volume, you know? Um, yeah, could be me. Efficiency would suffer, quality of the targets, you know, a, a Drew Locke or Jordan Love target is not worth the same as a, a an Aaron Rodgers target, obviously. But right. And what I mean, right now, I mean, just <laughs> it's also ridiculous to even talk about this. But if Rodgers is gone, right, you know. Jordan Love pretty much would be the starter, you think? Or it, do you think there's a chance we would end up seeing a Bortles or something like that? Well, I think uh, if he goes, he's probably going to Denver. I think that would be the most likely destination. And now that they've... Do you think Locke could come back? I think Locke would come back. I don't think they want Bridgewater and Locke behind Rodgers there. Yeah, right. that would be kind of a crowded QB room. So at that point, I, I think they'd throw Locke into any deal, and it would probably be some sort of Jordan Love, Locke, Bortles, three-way camp competition. Wouldn't that be fun? Right. I mean... Like, oh, yeah, that's exciting. I stuff. would need a lot I mean, of Makers, Mark, and Elijah Craig, Pete, if that was the uh, I mean, August storyline out of Green Bay. Well, let's... let's let's For, for just a second. I mean, when you... Has an NFL franchise ever had a run of quality quarterback play that rivals what the Packers have had. Now, wh- what year did Favre start starting for them? Was it 93? I think four? it was 90, uh, 93, I believe. Okay, so, I, I mean, we're we're yeah. almost at a three-decade run of I, Hall of Fame quarterback play. It's amazing. That's a, I, mean, has, I mean, I'm just going off the top of my head. I can't think of another franchise who can even sniff that. I mean, the Patriots had two decades of Brady, and they had Bledsoe before that. But still, that's Brady, really. Um, you know, the, the 49ers had the Montana Steve Young thing, but the Young part was a very shortened thing. Um, and, and Montana had his career snipped a little by Young. So it was different. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, but this is like three decades of some of the best quarterback play we've ever seen. Um, Rogers, some would argue, is the best ever. Favre probably would have some people arguing the same for him. I mean, it's just insane. Um so I'm so I'm, the reason I'm bringing that up is to go from that to love versus portals versus lock. Oh my God! Yeah. Can I can I put That's, you on the spot, Pete? Do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember the last time, uh, the last full time starting quarterback for Green Bay before Rodgers and Favre? I want to say it was the Magic Man. Yes, but, correct. Okay, Very good, was. Don Mikowski. Yes. Yeah, Mikowski. Um, yes. That's that's the guy. And hey. He wasn't even that bad, to be honest. No, not horrible. Not horrible. He had his, he had his moments. He had his I, moments. Pete, believe it or not, I used to think, like, when the Favre era was coming to an end, I'm like, I would just settle for another Don Mikowski. Like, as the next, well, you know, well, that would be a soft cushion, I guess. For a, we're going we're gonna to get out of Green Bay and, and, and put you out of your mission sure, here. Sure, sure. But, but the, you know, the one, it, it is interesting how organizations start to think, like, their history is the history of football. You know what I mean? And individual fans are like that too. Like, no, our second round picks always stink. It's like, you can't think that way. You know what I mean? But it's almost like the, like the Packers are thinking, well, we took Rogers when we still had Favre. Let's take this guy. Well, we still have Rogers as if 
that had something to do with why Rogers was great. You know what I mean? Right. It's like they're trying to. It's like they're trying to enact the same script, but it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Maybe right. it's just me. No, I um, exactly. They fell ass backwards into Aaron Rodgers and like trying to aggressively repeat that storyline. Right. Jordan Love just exactly. feels so wrong, you know? Right. Exactly. Jordan Love wasn't supposed to go five. He was supposed to go second round. They took him in the first. Rodgers was supposed to go up with the elite picks. For some reason, we'll never really fathom. He slips all the way to them at what, 25, something like that. And uh, the rest is history. Okay. So we're going to go ahead. Uh, just one last point. Like, I, I almost feel like there was some some sort of pressure on Brian Gutekunst that he felt because Ron Wolf, you know, he had Brett Favre. Favre was, that was Wolf's guy. And Aaron Rodgers was Ted Thompson's guy. And I feel like, you know, the new general manager comes in and, like, he wants to have his quarterback. That had to weigh into it at least a I, little bit with the Jordan Love move. That sounds that sounds like a reasonable thing to point out. And it sounds like a GM. I really would like to get rid of. Yes. Amen. <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know, that's just the kind of thinking that drives me crazy. I mean, that's the kind of thinking we see from the bottom rung teams in our fantasy leagues. Yeah, you know? exactly. That's, you know, that, that, that inability to understand sunk cost, that inability to understand that, that, that history doesn't repeat itself like that. Um, but anyway, let, let's move down to the Steelers for a second, because you and I were talking about them the other day. It, they're in an interesting spot, right? And now I'm starting to hear more rumbles that Roethlisberger is throwing, you know, balls with wings um, in camp. It's sort of an interesting situation because we've got some players that we really want to buy into, but we've got, the less mobile Roethlisberger, the less durable Roethlisberger, the less strong-armed Roethlisberger behind an offensive line that has deteriorated significantly. But then we have all the skill talent that we love, right? How are you, you know, sort of splitting the baby on that? Oh, boy, I know. It's, it hurts. Feel free to throw that back at me and say, what are you doing, Pete? I have no idea. Yeah, well, no, I do want to know what you're doing on that because I have had to you know, tamp down my enthusiasm a little bit for mm -hmm. uh, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, who looks like, you know, a, a knockoff version of DK Metcalf, basically. Uh, Juju, who I was kind of hoping was going to go somewhere else and get a chance to just, you know, be the slot guy for another team. Um, Najee Harris, who, you know, are, are the Steelers kind of trying to, to put the cart in front of the horse here and, and, get the running back position before you have the offensive line that can make that running game go. And, you know, just, you mentioned Juju. Don't forget where you are. I'm, we're going to restart you in a sure, second, but sure. you know, I, I, just because we talked about the Packers, I thought the Packers and Juju would have been such a nice little. Oh, it would have been. Yes. And he didn't get that much money, right? What did he get? Like eight mil for a single season or something like that? Right. I don't think I don't think it was that much money. Anyway, sorry, I had that thought. Keep no, going. that's okay. And uh, another thing on that, like the it's part of an organizational thing now with the Packers. I think they really like wide receivers who can block. Like Alan Lazard blocks his ass off, and and yep. Juju is another guy who obviously will just you know ask uh, Vontez Perfect about Juju's Absolutely. blocking. Um. So and Juju, Juju can play outside, and so right. Can, so can Adam. So you'd have a wonderful little, you know, you can move your receivers around. I think it would work. But anyway, get back to the Steelers. So and and yeah, all this is being uh, 
kind of reeled in by this quarterback who's like clearly, I mean, I hate to say this because like Ben Roethlisberger was the, just used to just stand in and take ridiculous shots. You'd almost like hope for him that he would think more about his self-preservation. And and now I, I kind of think he's thinking more about his self-preservation and making business decisions. And uh, as a result, we saw Juju last year with whatever his ridiculously low average depth of target was. Um, Right. You know, and, and really Deontay basically sucking up targets because he gets open the fastest. Yes. Right. Yes. And uh, yeah, just really not much of a vertical passing game there anymore. And you have to think, um, and, and Scott Pianowski brought this up on a podcast I was on with him not long ago. He re- recalled this, I want to say it was like week 14, the Steelers were playing the Bengals and the Bengals were sort of nursing a, a lead, like a 10 point lead kind of late in the game. And that's normally where you would think the Bengals might be giving up a little cushion underneath and, you know, letting Roethlisberger have the underneath completions, but they weren't, their corners were pressing right. the Steelers saying, all right, man, if you want to beat us downfield, do it. And uh, they couldn't do it. And, you know, yeah, not only I was talking about this, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, not only does that depress the value of the receivers, because they're not getting these deep high value targets, but what's it going to do to Najee Harris when all of a sudden teams aren't incentivized to keep their safeties back, uh, you know, to protect against the deep ball. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm with you. And it, that's why I mentioned earlier that, you know, it's, you know, I, I am not a big fan of camp chatter. I really don't care who's running routes well and OTAs and stuff like that. It just doesn't, I don't find that that stuff carries over very well. It's usually, it's usually stuff that knocks you off the path versus puts you on the path in terms of trying to figure out who's going to be good and bad and so on and so forth. But when I hear that Roethlisberger doesn't have any steam on the ball, maybe I should blow it off, but it, it concerns me a little bit because as you say, and there's a good example that you gave, that was a problem last year. And if he can't at least put a little bit of pressure downfield, if he can't be a little bit more aggressive in the intermediate areas, at least, I think we've got a problem. And I think Najee is a good back. But like you say, if even when teams should be pulling back, they're not, that's, that's not going to be good news for your running back. And it's going to hurt him as it's going to hurt him as a receiver too. Yeah. Well said. Um, I feel like I've got my, I've got each of those receivers in a dynasty league. And uh, I don't think I'm going to have any of them in redraft leagues this year. So like <laughs> just weather the storm with them in dynasty and, and uh, hope they wind up in better situations soon. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's almost like, I mean, the giants have addressed their offensive line, but the, the predictability of that offense over the last couple of years has really hurt the running back. And I think the Steelers, it's sort of the same effect. Just maybe, maybe the play calling isn't, you know, unimaginative in the way that the giants is, but they're just, they're predictable because they, you know, if you can only do X teams aren't covering Y, that's just the way it is. As right. you mentioned. Um, and, you know, so I'm sitting here, I love Najee Harris, but I, I don't know how much I'm going to lean in just because of this situation. If everything is occurring within five yards of the line of scrimmage, the back is going to have to grind for everything he gets. Yeah. Like the probable workload is high. I think there's still justification of drafting him somewhere late, 
mid to late second round. I, I can see it, but um, I just think, you know. I think that's where he's going to go. Right. I, and I normally I would be on it because I like the player and I generally like the Steelers, but the combination of the line and what you're describing with the arm and teams not respecting it is a little bit of a recipe for, you know, uphill running. Yeah. And, and, up, and uphill receiving too. Right. I mean, it, it. like if we see Najee averaging 3.9 yards per carry this year, I'm not going to be shocked. And I don't think it's a reflection on him. You, yeah, I was just about to say it. It's probably not. Le'Veon Bell was 3.5 as a rookie year. Remember that? Right. Um, or or something to that effect. Anyway, let's jump off the Steelers. And uh, real quickly, do you have any takes on Julio Jones in terms of places you think he might actually go? Um, and also. Is it me, or do I keep hearing places that don't make sense? <laughs> like, like Seattle is hurting for players. They, they, Jones would seem like such a massive luxury item for them when they've got so much defensive weakness. And some of the other teams I've heard talking about Julio Jones doesn't really make sense to me. Now, a team like the Patriots makes sense. Yes. Because they're desperate, desperate for a playmaker. Um, it, 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 what are you thinking about Julio? Are there any destinations that you think are realistic? Are there any destinations that scare you from a dynasty standpoint? Like he'll ruin another player kind of thing. Yeah. Like uh, you mentioned um, Seattle is one that doesn't seem to make sense The the chargers, I mean, are you just giving up on Mike Williams at that point? Um, yeah. And not that I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think Mike Williams is necessarily the chargers a, would, that would really be a weird one for me. Yeah, like he's not necessarily a, a fantasy savior in waiting Mike Williams, but right. they also have like, you know, Tyron Williams who kind of flashed a little bit last yeah. year. And their young guys are good. And, yeah, and they yeah. drafted uh, Palmer out of Tennessee. So like, I, yeah. I feel like they've got sort of a fully formed wide receiver core already. Like it's a good mix of of young guys, young quarterback. Yeah, right. Develop the young guys together. Yeah, and. Uh, I mean, I think the two that make sense, you you mentioned the Patriots, and I also think the Titans, just because they're so... Oh, yeah. Compl- yeah, it's just A.J. Yeah. Brown and nothing else in that wide receiver yeah. room right now. And, and I, I hate... And I don't want to get on a tangent, but I'm a, I am I have mild A.J. Brown concerns just because teams are going to swarm him. It's going to be a new game. You would think. It, it, it might not be as fruitful as some people are thinking. Um but let's transition off of Julio for a second because you talked about the Chargers, and I heard Zach Ertz to the Chargers. I think to me that that makes more sense. They should get him for nothing, pretty much. Julio cost you a little something, um, and they have a void at tight end. They do. I mean, they brought in Jared Cook, but I mean, Jared Cook mm. is pretty. Yeah, like that's. He drives coaches crazy. <laughs> right, he doesn't. I mean, he he might have enabled the Patri- or the uh, Buccaneers Super Bowl run with that critical fumble he had last oh, year in the NFC Championship. Does. When yeah, the the Saints. I'm a non-fan of Jared Cook. So. <laughs> right, no, his his catch. He catches a little slant. He would have had the the Saints in field goal territory when they were up a touchdown, and this was, I think. You know, maybe we later. could do a whole series of podcasts just on the Saint playoff pain in the last. Year. Right, right, and oh, uh, word. as a Packer fan, that kind of hurt me because I I wanted the Saints to win that game. I didn't think Drew Brees could come in and and beat the Packers in Lambeau, but I right I just thought the Buccaneers were better equipped to to win in Lambeau. Absolutely. Okay. You know what? Let's. Oh. I, I had a couple more football questions. Can I can, can I circle back to Earth for one second? Yeah. I mean, do of you course. do you worry that he's cooked after last year? I mean, well, he I'm sorry, just who? 
Uh, Zach Ertz. Julio? No, Zach Ertz. Oh, that he just like fell so far so fast from being this yeah. like top three tight end to yeah. I, I'm 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 on the other side of the Ertz thing actually. For, for first of all, I think he's a pretty good player. I think I just think he's a good player. Um, it, it, you know, I think he was a guy who's, who's played hurt a lot the last couple of years. Probably caught up to him a little bit last year. So as long as he's not dinged, um, and if he goes to a place where he should have some type type of gig, I I I could buy back into Zach Ertz. I could see him having a little renaissance. Um, but if he goes to a team like the Chargers and he's splitting time with Cook, then yeah, forget it. <laughs> yeah forget that's... it um so we'll have, we'll have to see where he lands um but i mean Ertz to me is a is a nice like if everybody is a, like basically everybody i talk to says zach Ertz is dead so to me that's a buying opportunity because he's a talented player so if i can get him for chump change i like it um am i gonna like spend real money on him no All did right. i answer did yeah I give you an answer? yeah okay that's... so let's um let's i'm sorry i cut you off what were you gonna say no no i was just gonna say that like that's a good take yes he's dead i just got him in like god the the 19th round or something of a dynasty startup uh yeah i really like that i really do yeah. just, just because i think it because that, that's the kind of pick it's like well if you end up cutting him what did you really lose um and he's the kind of player that's flashed the kind of talent where if he starts getting the targets he, he's an offensive tight end so i i like it yeah. Um, you know, to, to me, like, that's what late drafting is all about is understanding the guys where, you know, if they hit, it works for you. Those are the guys you want. Um, all of the guys we're taking down there are probably not going to hit. Right. So uh, what I want are the guys who are going to hit correctly, if you will. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that, that um, offense was just sort of disintegrating. So there's a plausible explanation for the big drop off. You know, just nothing was working for the Eagles. Really bad QB play. And Ertz is a guy who's played hurt so much that he might be a guy who just really just wasn't right. You know, yeah. I mean, he's not of an he's not of an age where you would just be a dead in the water kind of guy. He's not a big partier drinker type where you get old quick. He's a Jesus guy who works out with his wife. Right. You know, so uh, he's not the kind of player that I'm going to buy into. You know, what is he? 31? No, dude. I think this is going to be like his age 28 or 29 season. Like, oh, God. Sub 30. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I'd... All right. Now I'm looking up Sackers. Hold <laughs> on. <laughs> Okay. No, he no, he's 31 he's 31 in November. Oh, he is. Okay. Wow, yeah. my he, bad. He, he Well, no, but no, but well, but 30 flat is not old for a tight end. In fact, we've seen some tight ends whose careers started at 30, right? I mean, like who is Delaney Walker at age 30? Yeah, good point. Good point. You know what I mean? So, uh, Ertz to me is the kind of guy where if he finds the right gig, could be something if he's a guy who's going to go to a team where he's going to be one of a three-headed monster or something then yeah we could probably effectively write him off um but you know like say you know say that a guy like rogers needed a tight end now he doesn't but say he did that would be a good fit right yes um if, if the cowboys needed a tight end it doesn't look like they do but he would be a good fit working the underneath for a team like that um uh, you know, he could be a good fit if um, I seem like Carolina needed a tight end. Um, but, you know, for now, he's just a guy, you know, we have no landing spot. So I'm just sort of assuming average landing spot. So, yeah, 19th round is fine with me. Um, anyway, 
let's get to the fun because we've already we said we weren't going to do a lot of football and you know like it's like almost a half hour so um let's jump over the music because you are a guy you and i come up like our vintage is so similar right um like you and i could probably do an entire podcast on saturday morning cartoons from the 70s oh no question um, <laughs> um but um the first thing i want to talk to you about one thing and again because you and i are from the same time frame so i think new bands hit you the same way they hit me if that makes sense so like the first question I was going to ask you is name a band or a few bands, however many you want, where when you heard them, the sound was like just totally new the first time you heard them, where you're like, holy crap, what's that? You know what I mean? Do yeah. Do you have any um, examples? Sure. I'll give you a cup. Oh, go yeah, ahead. I can give you some of mine if it helps. But yeah. Uh, why don't you start? Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll give you one, then you give me one. Okay. A, a good example for me would be like Boston. Yes. And I'm not right. even saying that I like Boston that much. They're like a band from my youth. Like maybe I'll pull out the original Boston, Boston occasionally. But the first time I heard Boston was like, I've never heard anything like that in my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Quick aside. Like, so Tom Scholl's the guy who basically ended. Yeah. Out. He's, he's at the heart of that sound. For yes, sure. absolutely. I actually uh, worked with his younger sister for a while at a job. Like, she she kind of came in and she worked with the company that was working with us and uh, you know she was a uh, brassy woman to say the least and uh, you know so she could tell you all about the Rockman amplifier and all that stuff. yeah we uh, we didn't really talk music but um, oh, okay. yeah it, it was inter- like it was funny because I always heard like Tom Scholz was sort of domineering he was sort of like Rick Ocasek was to the Cars like that was his band okay and uh, right like his younger sister was very much like that you know you you weren't going to uh if if she wanted something she was going to get that and there wasn't going to be compromise about it so it was kind of funny it was a a family trait obviously but um yeah that's an interesting one boston was definitely a unique sound yeah give me give me one for you all right i'll i'll go like i'll spin it back a little later because i was listening to a lot of classic rock in like my grade school years and then uh you know, I'd have to say when I was a freshman in high school, like the U2 sound hit me pretty hard. Oh, like that was... I'm crossing them off. They're on my list. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry to steal them. No, but, no, uh, no. That's good. We agree. That's good. Yeah. I mean, like the I, part of it was just, I mean, the big anthems. I'm always a sucker for the big anthems. And uh, <laughs> like the, the Edge's guitar sound was like nothing I'd ever heard. I know Michael Salfino of The Athletics swears that like he thinks the edge kind of cribbed his guitar style from the public image limited guitarist whose name I'm forgetting right now, but uh, I can't remember either. Yeah. He said, if you go back and listen to old PIL albums, you can hear that kind of guitar that he thinks the edge just like, you know, heard and refined, I guess over the years. But uh, yeah, they definitely hit me like a edge did it better. I mean, pill pill was okay. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's been a little more sustained su- success with you too, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go back and check that out. I, I, I've i never heard anyone say that, and I never picked up on that myself, but that doesn't mean Michael's wrong. Um, and you two, had, they were an original band in a lot of ways, right? 
I mean, Edge definitely was the thing that jumped out at you. But Bono is a fairly original singer. Yes. I, I'd never really heard anyone sing like Bono before Bono. The songs themselves, I thought, were fairly original, particularly War. Like, first time I heard War, I'm like, like these songs are very, very different than anything I've ever heard. I mean, maybe if, I don't know, if you're from Ireland or something, there were a lot of bands like that. But, you know, um, the first album I heard by U2 was Boy, and it blew me away. It just blew me away. Yeah, I jumped past, I think War was the first one that I got, and then I quickly backtracked to... Right. Uh, well, I, I was lucky. A friend of mine just like came up to me one day, and, and you'll understand this. He just he takes a Maxell UDXL2 and just puts it in my hand. It's like, you're going to love this. And it was U2 Boy with October on the other side. Um, and yeah, I just he was one of my music buddies. We did that for each other. He was also the guy who turned me on to the police. Um, oh, wow. He gave me a UDXL2 without Landos on one side and Regatta on the other. Oh. Um, and that was like, that was my first band that I think I was just addicted to, was the police. Um, and I also thought they were a very original sound at the time. Like, if you look at the police sound late 70s, there's nobody else. There's no other band that would have put out Roxanne or anything like that. Um, or a song like So Lonely. Um, even a song like Peanuts. You know, like, that's just very original stuff. If you look at the the landscape of the time. Yeah, and the, just the way that group formed. Like, it was just such an improbable band. You know, two 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 Brits and an American, Stuart Copeland being the American, two two younger guys and then kind of an old guy, Stuart uh Andy Summers Andy. was sort of yeah, he had played with like the animals and Yeah, uh, he was like on the verge of giving up. Right. So yeah, they were definitely an interesting jazz. Yeah, I read in Andy Summers memoir a, a while back where like apparently they had all met at a party and they would have just gone their separate ways if if not like Stuart if uh, I think it was Stuart Copeland, like missed a train or something like that. And he and Andy Summers wound up on the same train and like reconnected with Sting later. And the rest was yeah, history. I mean, but I do think that Andy Summers might be one of the most underrated rock musicians of his time. And I don't mean to like go too crazy on this, but I just think he was probably more of an influence in the police sound than most people realize. And oh, yes, and the, and the, and just in that, that the police were so huge. People probably don't realize it. Like the police thing is now faded enough, where some people probably don't realize how big the police were. But I mean, they were bigger than Van Halen. You know, what band has ever done catchier choruses than the Police? You know, That's a good question. I I don't know if I've ever really thought of it in those terms. But yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I'm I, you don't have to. I mean, basically up until synchronicity i love every album like they're just you know and even synchronicity has its moments but um you know the synchronicity tour was you know yeah like they they started moving like into the distortion thing and away from there i like it when they're a little bit funkier and a little bit with that more reggae swing and but but the thing i love about the police is how fast they play right um so you know like i'm more into that thing you know synchronicity sort of seemed like the beginning of the end and then oh wait it's the end <laughs> right like when it first came out i was like i don't like this new direction but then it was like well i guess i'd rather have one more synchronicity than nothing because <laughs> as it turns out the next police album was 
Dream of the Blue Turtles by Sting, which <laughs> I like now, but at the time I was just like, what the hell is this? Yeah, it was an abrupt <laughs> ending. I mean, they, uh, yeah, yeah. They they really they really did perfect the you know verse chorus verse chorus bridge verse chorus thing with their first three, then like Ghost in the Machine, which I think was probably their best album, which was just like kind of I love sp- Ghost in the Machine, just spreading their wings a little bit more. I think musically, I think second. Okay, you you'll understand this because you had an album like me, like the first like my first copy of Ghost was vinyl. And second side Ghost in the Machine might be the most underrated album side they have. Oh yes, so good. And I think that yeah. might have been the first cassette tape I ever bought, Ghost in the Machine. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. So you and I are both police heads. Now another band which I thought totally. Actually, wait a minute. Actually, yeah, it's my turn. You did you too. Yes. So, and, but uh, the band I'm going to bring up, I'm going to steal one from you. You know, I think. But REM. And the reason I'm going into REM now is because I discovered REM when I went to see the police. They opened up and they were really good. What an amazing um, double and, bill. Yeah. And when I, the first thing I did the next day was I drove down to White Plains and I bought Murmur. Um, and that started my love affair with REM, which is basically, I don't think REM has released anything that I don't. <laughs> I've got, I've got, I've got some like, releases that, that even hardcore rem fans are like wait a minute i've never heard of that <laughs> i was so into rem like we used to go into record stores and just search for stuff i have this album called so much younger than by rem at some point i'll, I'll get you a copy of it them i'd never heard anything quite like it it wasn't so much that they blew my mind it just felt very original um and the fact that the lyrics were totally unintelligible like 50 percent of the time how did you fall in love with the band because i know you're a big fan yeah i actually read a review of murmur and rolling stone and i was like it was just glowing i'm like i new college band yeah and i'm like i should get this and uh, i did and i just you know like played it on my record player on vinyl over and over and over again and just totally fell for it. I didn't know that there were college bands until R.E.M. Because I discovered them when I was in high school. I hadn't Same. gotten to college yet. Same, yeah. I'm like, well, what What does that mean, college band? I'm, I didn't even know what it meant. But anyway. Yeah. I'm, I actually, I don't even know if I know what it means now. And then, I guess it means you're on 120 minutes or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then, Pete, I mean, they just reliably put out like a, a record a year every like yes yeah like they they didn't didn't have a miss until what i mean what was monster 
Monster was maybe their first kind of miss, and that was at least like a I loved ball. Monster. <laughs> I liked Monster, so I didn't even. For me, Up was the miss. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Up, 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 Up was my miss. Like I was, I pretty much loved every REM release until Up. Um, maybe Out of Time, I didn't absolutely just love, but I liked it. Um, and yeah, Monster's a little power poppy, but that's okay. Yeah. I mean, also, all REM is power pop when you get right down to it. Yeah. So, like out of, I agree. Like, out of time was, out of time was like the first one they didn't totally hit out of the park. Where it was like, oh, maybe this one has a little bit more right. filler than the other ones. But it also had new textures and sounds that were interesting too. So, yep. like, like when out of time came out, it was like, okay, this is different. I like a lot of it. When up came out, it was like, this is different, and I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And I guess we talked about this on your show, didn't we? But that's where they lost Bill Barry. And I don't know. I wouldn't have predicted that losing Bill Barry would have been like a big problem. But right. Coincidence or not, that, that it, they, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, you know, causation versus correlation. I don't know. But it definitely the timing for me when Bill Barry left, it just, you know, there was like one or two songs per album that I liked after that, with the exception of Accelerate, which I loved. Yeah, I've heard that. Like, that is the one. And I have to be honest, I have not really heard much of Accelerate, just individual songs. I've got to go back and listen to the whole there you go. album. So, like, enough people said, no, no, you'll like Accelerate when yes, I when yes. got it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is pretty good. Um, so you and I are both REM heads. We could probably do like a whole REM show one day. Um, but... It's your turn. You got any more? You got any more examples? Yeah. Uh, so I don't think they necessarily originated their sound, but it was a genre of music that I was introduced to in high school. And this, it was the specials. And they got me into ska. Oh, okay. I, oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, which opened the door for all these other bands that I have since, you know, loved uh, English beats and, you know, which sort of, I know. I mean, like later on, the the Scossie and the English Beats and Madness and all those bands. I was sort just of... about to say, how about Madness? Yeah. yeah, and then there were the bands that, you know, borrowed heavily from Scott, like Fishbone and uh, yeah, even yeah. like Sublime and uh, even... Well, uh, I'm a huge Sublime fan, so I'm with you. Yeah, and uh, even... And I'm uh, a big Minutemen fan, too. Oh, nice. on Gwen Stefani's band uh no doubt like another heavy ska influenced band so um yeah I mean just discovering ska in high school was hey you don't watch that watch this this is the heavy heavy monster sound the nuttiest sound around so if you've come in off the street and you're beginning to feel the heat well listen buster you better start to move your feet to the rockinest, rock steady beat of madness. One step
that was like my sophomore year in high school and a bunch of us I, were just I'm a big fan of the beat big fan yeah um, and we would we would just like trade ska tapes because we were all like getting into it and going to these record stores and individually unearthing things i even and, went to a general public concert oh nice <laughs> man we saw uh ub40 a couple my wife and i went to a ub40 yeah, show like yeah. maybe seven years ago or i whatever. saw ub40 they were really good yeah it was good i, I, mean, saw, it might have been the, I, I saw them on the pier in new york city it was like outdoors we were really lubed up so it was great but yeah, we it might have been the, it might have been the event. I saw them in their prime, like back in the eighties, and they were fantastic. My wife and I saw them like yeah, seven hey. years ago, and it was horrible. <laughs> it was just, yeah. Unfortunately, they didn't have much left on their fastball at that point. Let's put it that way. Yeah, well, yeah, that happens. And, and they haven't had a like. I was a huge fan of their album, Jeffrey Morgan. Yes, I, I, I just, I, I, I beat the snot out of that album. Great album of college. Yeah, it really is. Um. Okay, so my turn. Uh, here, here's here's a sneaky one. Dire Straits. Oh, nice. I'd never heard anything like Dire Straits until I heard Dire Straits. Just Mark Knopfler's style is so unique. Um, you know, whether you think he's a great player or not, that that he's got an un, undeniably unique style. And Dire Straits songs, particularly the first two albums, uh, that the the way they straddle like alt rock and country is. And the, the the unique way that they do it, I mean, I think like my favorite country album of all time might be Communicate. But maybe it's not a country album. I don't know. They're a little like the Rolling Stones in that regard, where if they just put their minds completely to country, they could have been one of the best at it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I, the, the, have you ever watched the special, um, the Muscle Shoals special? No. Oh, God, dude. We're stopping the show right now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but no, seriously, I think it's free on Netflix right now. No, I think it's free on Prime right now. But it's, I think it's called Muscle Shoals, and it's all about all the amazing music that was recorded down there. And the Stones, um, I think, uh, which album was it? Oh, gosh. Which album was it? I can't remember which Stones album, but they, they did a couple songs down there. Um, and, uh, and Mick is talking about how they just wanted that feel. Um, so seriously, check it out, and we'll talk next time we pod. Nice. We're going to talk about nice. that. Sigmund and Blue, Sigmund Bloom and I talked about that um, on a pod one time. He he also thought it was pretty um, remarkable stuff. Um, and anyone who doesn't consider Knopfler a great guitarist needs to get the hell out. I mean, he's well, yeah. some people talk about his technique, and you know, it it, it he sort of is like a, he has a cheater technique. Something I don't care. I could care less about any of that stuff. I've heard people say the same kind of thing about Gilmore, who's like my guitar god. Like, make, yeah. I, do I love the Do I love the sounds you make? That's all that matters, right? 
Yes. You know, I, mean, I, don't, yes. I, I don't care about guitar technique. I don't understand guitar technique. I'm a very mediocre player. Um, but anyway, all right, Dire Straits is out. You're next. Give all me right. another one. I'll give you one more. Uh, XTC. Good one. Another band I, I got hooked on. And Very it's, original sound. Very it, original. Yeah, sound. man. It is. Uh, Skylarking. Like, it's just pop, but it's just such unique pop. And and like, uh, you know, the, the vocals are one of a kind for sure. But like, you never. You know what band. Go ahead. Well, just like to what you just said, XTC was sort of like the 80s version of the shins for me, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it kind of does. Okay. Um, I, I I feel like the Shins took what they did and then like added to it on some level. Yeah, you just never knew what direction they were going to take a song, and uh, they yeah. just had no, so many good ideas. Like for a while, you couldn't even get it in America, but the uh, I think it's a double album, English Settlements. It's just oh yeah, a total masterpiece. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. think it's just brilliant yeah. beginning to end, and it is just. It's weird, and I have two other albums. I have Skylarking and English Settlement. Those are the two. Yeah, those are those are probably the two to own. Um, okay. Weird, but just so good. Weird my, pop. That's like weird my, my, great my, pop. My two favorite things. Um, so another, I'll tell you what, real quick. I was going to say Sugar Hill Gang because the first time I heard it, it blew oh, nice. my mind. I'd never, I'd never heard rap before the Sugar Hill Gang. Um, and then here's a here here's an under the radar one really popular song but i before i'd heard the band aha i'd never heard anything like that oh um, interesting you know again that's just a sound like i'm not saying i like aha but the sound was fairly original the video was too actually um red hot chili peppers would be another one i, yes. I will never forget the, the the first time my friend played red, red hot chili peppers for me i sat there with my like picking my job off the table which um, album was your introduction i have i have to ask the original okay. the original yeah yeah true men don't kill coyotes mommy where's daddy that whole that whole that whole gig um just an amazing album get up and jump you know the whole thing um and then the last one i'll bring up is fleet foxes like their harmonies i'd never heard anything like it until i heard it Yeah, the, of of the newer acts. Uh, God, they're not even newer now that I. They're really I, not. I, right, I know, so I know. Bad. But, We're uh, so freaking old. <laughs> yeah, really, but no, uh, I'm I like their stuff a lot. Okay, so look, we're pinching for time because you and I can just bullshit about this stuff forever and ever and ever. But I, before we did the the podcast, you and I thought about this one question, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna focus on yours, and if we have some time, we'll talk about mine. But we talked about what if you were able to curate your own musical festival, right? And you could have any bands you want, three-day event, whatever order you want. And did you come up with one? I did. Okay, cool. So we're going to go through them one day at a time. So I gave you some criteria. So four bands for Friday night, because Friday night always starts late, right? Yes. Yes. So, four, so who are your four Friday bands? 
All right. So uh, leading off, not necessarily a band. He's a, a solo guy, although he's okay. got a supporting yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bob Mould, the former Husker Du ah, guitarist okay. and singer. Just one of my favorite artists and uh wherever he's gone like his the band has just been phenomenal husker du was great yeah yeah sugar was great um you know he is just one of the most underrated guitarists and vocalists you need to help me because i've always had trouble figuring out which husker du i want to listen to maybe you can be the guy who sort of like helps me yeah so uh, like i'm kind of against the grain here a lot of people like the real punk stuff like zen arcade i kind of like the later era stuff and and my favorite yeah like zen arcade i didn't love it as much as everybody told me i was supposed to yeah so i i think when they just decide to mellow out and just be a rock band that's when i thought they hit their peak with candy apple gray and then i think their magnum opus was warehouse songs and stories a, a double album of just like 20 20 phenomenal songs of literally just trading back and forth where Bob Mould writes one of the song and then their, uh, you know, now deceased drummer Grant Hart would write and sing a song. And they traded back and forth, like two different vocalists, basically alternating songs. And right. uh, like, it just worked. It just worked. I mean, Warehouse Songs and Stories, absolutely one of my Desert Island discs. Like it would be top 10, no question. <laughs> yeah, it's a masterpiece, so man. So, okay. So Bob Mould's kicking it off. So he's kicking it off. Uh, then segue into Beck, another solo artist. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you took Beck because Beck, I cut Beck out at the last second. Oh, did you? Beck okay. So yeah, I'm a big. I love. I love. Beck. Right. Whatever he touches is just gold, man. I mean, he just crosses genres so easily. Amazing talent. Beck, I, yeah, you and I. Yeah. Okay. You can have three Beck albums. What other? So, uh, Odile, Mutations, and um, Sea Change. Three for three. Those are mine too. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Um, so we've got Mold. We've got Beck. Two more. All right. And then we're getting. Friday night. Then we're getting populist. Uh, need the the big. Uh, you need to draw. Yeah, we need the draw. So um, you know, you gotta sell tickets. Yeah. Foo Fighters. I mean, I, I don't love all their stuff. Oh, okay. But uh, no, no, I love. I like the Foo. Yeah, at their best, man. They're pretty terrific. They didn't make and, mine, but yeah. You know, and Dave Dave Grohl's just like rocks, uh, best diplomat statesman, I guess. Um, and then uh, bring it to a crescendo with Pearl Jam to end night one. Ooh, Pearl Jam. Okay. So Pearl, I didn't have Pearl Jam. I feel like an idiot. Um, interesting. Now, I, I, before we close, I decided after I asked you the official question, if you want, you get a late night band on Friday and Saturday night too. So 
is there a band you would want to do a late night show for those who want to hang out? Oh, like an after hours kind of show? An after hours. This is something that I've learned because I go to the Wilco Festival every year and they always have like somebody doing a late night show. Like last time they had Yola Tenga and it was really cool. Um, anyway, if you, if you want to, you can think about that. You can add it later. All right. Um, and before we get to your Saturday, I'm going to give you my Friday. Okay. Real quick. My Friday night is sort of a reenactment of the old Horde tour. I don't know if you've ever heard of the old Horde tour back in the 90s. I vaguely recall. But so on my Friday night, and here's a total, like this band, nobody would pick this band for a festival but me probably, but they're so underrated. But the Spin Doctors. Oh, nice. Blues, Blues Traveler. And then we're closing with the Phil Lesh version of the Dead and Fish. So all four bands, but here's the way it's going to work. We're going to do trading sets all night. So Doctors, Travelers, Dead, Fish, then Doctors, Travelers, Dead, Fish. So two sets for everybody, like half hour set, just like the old one. Oh, nice. So, and that's yeah. better. And then and then my, my late night band is Ween. Oh, nice. That that is better theme than mine, Pete. Like that is just a seamless. Okay, transition. see, that's I went. I went with the whole. I I tried to go with the theme thing. So like I, but the thing is, I lost some really good bands like Beck and Pearl Jam. Okay, let's move to Saturday. All right, give uh, me your Saturday first. At, at the off the top of my head, I'll uh, I'll have the Black Keys do the late night Friday jam. <laughs> That just seems like the kind of band, like if there's an after hours thing, like that would be the kind of band. Everyone's drunk, playing some yep, dirty and blues. And I just, they just missed my cut. I, I pushed them out at the last second. So perfect. All right. Dovetailing for me. So on Saturday, I'm starting with a couple bands that just, I love. Uh, one that I've seen outdoors on multiple occasions and just a favorite band of mine, Cracker. Uh, like, now the only rule with this, by the way, is we're not allowed, we're not allowed dead people. Yeah, correct. So, so right. So neither one of us could take Hendrix. Neither one of us could take the Doors or anything. Yep, I stuck with okay. that. So uh, yeah. we're opening Saturday with Cracker. Just a, a Cracker. Great, like you know, they segued from uh, Camper Van Beethoven when I was in college to Cracker, and <laughs> uh, you know this this pairing of uh, David Lowry, the rhythm guitarist and vocalist, and uh, Johnny Hickman, the guitarist, is just magic, and like. You know, Lowry is one of the most underrated rock songwriters, I think, of the last 30 years. He's just wow. brilliant lyrics, um, kind of a country vibe to Cracker a little bit, but like... Uh, yeah, I've never listened to a lot of Cracker, so yeah, now man, I'm going to have to, like, pick up, this is another band I'm going to have to lean on you a little bit. Pick up either the self-titled Cracker or, better yet, Kerosene Hats, which has Low, Ooh. which is the, the song everybody knows. Uh, you know, the big hit from the 90s, but they they are a really good, uh, more versatile than you would expect band. Follow that up with Fishbone, who I mentioned earlier. Um, Ooh, very nice. Spectacular live, you know, not quite as uh, fiery on stage as they were maybe when I saw and that's them. A good, and that's a good afternoon band, too, because they got energy. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
followed by uh, a, a band that I have seen just smash it at a festival. Not in person, but uh, I saw a feed of them at Glastonbury, Franz Ferdinand's, a favorite Ooh. of mine from uh, Scotland. Just a, uh, yeah. you know, like they were a 2000s band that brought back an 80s sound. And uh, I love it, man. You're, you're, I think yours is even more original than mine. It's good. It's cracker, yeah. fishbone. So then I'm, I'm kind of whiplash people going from Franz Ferdinand to the Black Crows on uh, a late oh, Saturday afternoon. Crows. Interesting. I didn't even think that we could Black Crows. Very good call. I like that. All right. And then so you're half, oh, go ahead. Halfway through Saturday. All right. Uh, no, then no, 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 you go. A band I think I'm seeing at Summerfest in Milwaukee in September, the Pixies. <laughs> yeah, good. You and I, I okay I'll keep going keep going moving have, into uh you know not one I of, almost had the picture you know not one of my I can't say I've been a devoted fan of this band but you know I, I love their big smash album in what 1994 when it came out and uh you know the, the longevity has definitely surprised me and the quality of their work over time uh Green Day oh yeah Green Day sure and then uh, moving on to The Cure. So and I, Green Day following the Pixies is nice. Yeah, and then, then we'll do The Cure, who, uh, you know, can't, can't be, I don't think we can consider that a uh, reunion since they, didn't they just play in uh, Wembley like a year or two ago? Pre-COVID. Yeah, right. The Cure. Wow, I didn't even think of The Cure. Good call. Okay. And, and then topping it off with, you know, the, the band that, has just knocked my socks off the two times I've seen him live, Radiohead. Ooh, very nice. Very, very nice. I mean, just... That's a, a nice close. Amazing out. musicians. So okay, so now we have room for a late night band on you for Saturday, but just to, just to re-up here for you, you can think about it while I'm recapping for you. But Cracker, Fishbone, Franz Ferdinand, Black Crows, Pixies, Green Day, The Cure, and I'm really jealous of The Cure because I forgot about them, and Radiohead. Interesting. Yes, and uh, I might. And I'll tell you what. Okay. You you can think about it because I'm going to read mine out to you, and you, that gives you some time to think. Sure. So my Saturday was, I'm bringing Crowded House to open up because I love. Neil oh, Finn. nice. So Crowded House is going to be whatever Neil Finn wants to play. So it could be some old stuff from Split Ends, could be some Family Finn stuff, but I like their vibe. Then I'm getting the Ten Thousand Maniacs back together. Oh wow. Then we're bringing on the Breeders. So we're gonna, that's good. We're going to have the Pixies and the Breeders. Are our <laughs> Kim Deal's going to be busy. Yep. And then I'm, bring, I'm getting R.E.M. back together. They're my fourth band. Then I'm bringing U2. Then I'm getting the Talking Heads back together. Then we're reuniting Frusciante with the Chili Peppers. Oh, nice. So it's Crowded House, Maniacs, Breeders, R.E.M., U2, Talking Heads. And then we're bringing Frusciante and the Chili Peppers back together. And then we're closing the night out with the Stones. Because, I mean, they're the Stones and they're still alive. So I got to bring them in. And then my late night band for Saturday night is Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Oh, nice. A little darkness after midnight. Yeah, that's great. And by the way, the Stones, like I saw the Stones three years ago in Chicago at, at Soldier Field. They were fantastic. They're so good. It's like, and it's like, I saw them a couple years ago too, and like I went in very cynical, and halfway through the show, I'm like, I'm such an idiot. Why did I doubt the Rolling Stones? You know, I, they did. They did a freaking Sympathy for the Devil and knocked my socks off. 
Yeah, they I, and I love their I love their playlist. Like it was, they played some kind of obscure stuff. Like they played. Some... Yeah, no, it was. I, I mean, I was like, man, this is a lot of money. Is it really worth it? And then I I walked out going, what's wrong? It was, it was so good. Um, yeah. So my uh, Saturday night afterwards, well, uh, I couldn't fit them in any other way. So smashing pumpkins. Oh, nice. Yeah, big favorite of mine. And that's double nice because I forgot them. Um, okay, so we've got we're through to Sunday now. And by the way, anybody listening to this, I'm going to put Pat's festival and my festival up on the Rotobahn post. So if you want to like check this stuff out, you can. Because I know 90% of you have no interest in that, but I also know that 10% are geeks like me and uh, Mr. Fitzmorris. So you'll want to. <laughs> um, so so Sunday's a shorter day because like you know it's like end. You got to end at 6 p.m. Usually there's zoning or something. I think even at Wayne Stock, they had to close down Sunday early. Um, so who are you starting off Sunday with? Well, let me just... I'm mellowing out a little on Sunday. Let me just preface this. See, I'm bringing it to a, a big crescendo on Sunday. Uh, and, and I'm glad. I was going to ask you beforehand if it would be breaking the rules to have reunion bands. And so I heard no, that you mentioned a few not. of them. And I, di- I didn't want to hear no, so I didn't ask you. And uh, <laughs> so we're doing an entirely all reunion Sunday. Okay. Before you start, I just want to say that I'm, I'm with Elijah Craig on this taste test thing. I just want to jump in with that. Oh, nice. Yeah, me too, man. I, like I, I love the makers. Yeah. Like the, nothing. Yeah, the makers is good. Nothing bad to say about the makers, but Elijah Craig just I like the finish a little bit more. It's yeah. There's just a little more depth to it for me. Yes. Like it's it, you know it's 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 it's. There's just a little bit more happening. And I definitely, I think I like the, the Rye version of the week. But okay, more interesting is your first band on Sunday. Yeah. So, and, and I'm going to assume that I've got some sort of great negotiator who can, uh, you know, mend fences. Oh, no, no. This is all about miracle work. Mend fences. I even, and... thought, about, I even thought about getting Pink Floyd back together, but <laughs> I didn't do it. Cause, because the bottom line is they don't want to do it. Right. You know? so, but right. go ahead. So my, my guy is going to be able to mend fences and bring reclusive drummers uh, out of retirement. So um, we're going to start with, a, this isn't too implausible. Oh, yeah, This isn't too implausible since uh, we saw these guys five, like five or six years ago, the replacements. Ooh. That was predictable. Yeah, not, not entirely the original. Yeah, I think so. So when we saw him, it was just Paul Westerberg and Tommy Stinson were the only original members. Hopefully we can lure Chris Mars, the drummer, out of retirement for this one, too. Followed by another reclusive drummer in the White Stripes. Get Jack White Ooh. and Meg White back together. So um, Wow, White Stripes. Okay, not bad. Now this one, I, I know the, the fences are uh, would be pretty hard to mend because everyone hates David Byrne, but Talking Heads... Uh, okay. Followed by yeah. REM. Yeah. And then the big crescendo for, you know, I don't know if this will ever happen just because uh, the brothers hate each other too much, but Oasis to top it all off. The Gallagher's Oasis. getting back together. Okay. All right. So your Sunday is Replacements, The White Stripes, Talking Heads, REM, and Oasis. Yes. That's quite a, that's quite a day. <laughs> that is a big day, man. I'd, I'd that be is quite a day. Yeah, I'd be uh, um, sunburned and drunk by the end of that show. Now, sure. I mentioned talk, I mentioned that I was getting Talking Heads back together on Saturday, right? Yes, you did. Okay, good. Okay, so we both we both got REM back together, 
and we both got the talking heads back together. And it's funny that you mentioned it, but I like the RAM one doesn't seem like it would be too tough, but yeah, the talking heads, cause Dave is really tough, but it would be so worth it. Cause they're so good live. Um, so uh, real quick, my Sunday I can get to starts sleep. off. Now, again, I'm doing the theme thing. So I start off with I Colin Hay, little man in a guitar. Nice. And then when Colin Hay ends, Jeff Tweedy comes out and does Man and Guitar. But then halfway through Tweedy's set, Wilco comes out and they start doing Wilco. So I cheated, and Jeff Tweedy and Wilco is one show. So I sort of, I sort of cheated on that. So it's Colin and then Jeff, Jeff Tweedy and Wilco. Then a little My Morning Jacket, because I just I need it. Then we're getting the Kinks back together. Oh. Kinks back together at around four o'clock. They're going to play from four to five, and then at, um, to close out, we're going to get Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, John Paul Jones, and I don't know Bonham's Kid maybe. And Zeppelin is closing out my set. So. Oh, that's a hell of a way to go out, and uh, you, you make me feel. <laughs> to answer your questions, yes, we can get. <laughs> Yeah, and you kind of make me feel bad about not putting Wilco in my uh, festival anyway. Oh, really? Are you a big fan? Well, I, I mean, I'm a fan. I, I can't say I'm a big fan, but I'm definitely a fan. And, like, Jeff Tweedy is just, in, like, an institution here in Chicago. I mean, he's just, like... He's so great. Yeah, he is you know, an amazing songwriter. He is an amazing songwriter. He's a good singer. He, he curates this... Well, he and the band curate this amazing festival. And I'll tell you what, I'll invite you right now, Pat. If you ever want to come out and go to the Wilco Festival, come with me, and, uh, we'll, you know, we'll do it together. It is the best festival I've ever been to. Oh, that would it's be so fun. much fun. They do, it's, it's, everything about it is really cool. They have it at this big, um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's this huge art exhibit place <laughs> um, in um, North Adams, Massachusetts. Um, it's called Mass Mocha. And it's this old factory. So they have these art exhibits that are on these huge scales, right? So it's a piece of art. And they gave the artists like a gymnasium to work in, right? So it's like all these huge scale pieces of art. Um, and you can sort of walk through between acts and check out all the art. Um, and the cool thing about it is that like, it's, it's a festival where you feel like you're at the center of it versus the bands, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, like everything is sort of done to make you feel at home. 
like they have free water, <laughs> free parking, um, you know, like everything is, you know, on the low key, and and they really make an effort to bring in bands that you like, but also really cool bands that you've never heard. So like, it's the kind of thing for you where you'd love because you're gonna see stuff you like, but then you're also gonna get turned on to stuff you've never heard before. Like, I I had never heard of this band Foxygen until I went to see them. I'm a pretty big fan of Foxygen now. Same thing with um, Andy Schauf um, and his band Fox Warren. White Denim is a band that I discovered um, at the Wilco Festival. It's just, it's just a really cool thing. Um, so at some point, man, if you can do it, I know you got the, the smaller kids, so I know it's probably not happening anytime soon, but at some point, we should do the Wilco Festival. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, they're not that small. They can take care of themselves. They're they're high school age now, so we can uh, oh, okay. think about oh, something good, like good. that. Yeah. I don't know. If, I, I was under the impression your kids were younger. That's good. I'm not as worried about them now. Although, <laughs> you know, I just got through high school. Good luck with that. <laughs> so look, we actually have not a lot of time left, but we do have one more question left. And I still have a little bit of my maker's mark left. Nice. I've got a little ball. Yeah. So while I'm working on this maker's mark, last question. And I, I think... I don't know if you were able to give this one much thought, but without any limitations, as many as you've got, as few as you got, it doesn't matter. But really, it's the conversation I want to get into. But best use of a song in a movie. Yeah. Um, so are we doing but here? Here, but here, here, are the, here are the qualifiers. It can't be like a concert movie. Okay. Right. Right. So I can't take echoes from Pink Floyd live at Pompeii. Um, and it can't be a live performance. So like, we can't take like, um, say, um, like in high fidelity when Jack Black sings, let's get it on. Yes. Okay. Which is phenomenal, but we can't take that. Like that's, that's a, that's a musical performance. So like use of songs in movies. All right. So, uh, so you would ask, you, do you have a, you, you have a favorite? Yeah. Well, you would ask for five. Want me to rip through these really quick Yeah. and I'll explain Absolutely. why. Okay. So yeah. Number one was comedic effect. It was uh, Cashmere by Led Zeppelin in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Okay. Oh, this is so funny because that was I was I was going to close this out with worst use. <laughs> yeah, I just love. And I was going to say I was going to say them getting it wrong and using Cashmere <laughs> of Led Zeppelin four. That's so funny. Yeah. So for those who who don't know, Mike Damone, this guy who's like a, a ticket scalper, high school kid, <laughs> recommends to his scalper? nerdy. Did you call me a scalper. <laughs> recommends to his nerdy best friend who's going to take this girl out play side one of Led Zeppelin 4 and all of a sudden the exact quote is when it comes down to making out always put on side one of Led Zeppelin 4 I think I got it 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 shows them uh, like driving in a car in stony silence as uh, Cashmere (laughs) plays which of course is not on Led Zeppelin 4 it's on physical graffiti right which was my favorite Zeppelin album on your show last week we're coming full circle here do you know the reason why they did that? No. Zeppelin wouldn't let them play a song from Led Zeppelin 4. Oh, really? That's it? They they could they couldn't get the approval. Oh, so that's they went hilarious. with Cashmere. <laughs> yeah. That's apparently that's what happened. Okay. That's that hilarious. Was fun. Okay, so go right to another Cameron Crowe movie. Uh almost famous. I mean the tiny dancer scene and it actually Okay, okay this is good. Yeah, is it, good. like the fact that Tiny Dancer wasn't originally that big a hit I guess for Elton and then it sort of came back right. into And it is a great and it is a great It film. is and it got a second life. So that was kind of cool. Um Okay. So okay, now I'm going to jump into mine for a second. Sure. 
um, because I chose Tangerine from Almost Famous. Oh, so nice. Sort of funny. Yeah, I love I love when that's uh, first of all I love that song. Second of all, I love when it kicks in at the end of that movie. Yeah, but that's and I, I love choice. your song in that movie too. Okay, go go to the next one on yours. Okay, so uh, you know, like you got two from you. An iconic movie that you can't hear this song if you've seen the movie without thinking about the scene where uh, uh, Michael Madsen cuts the cops ear off in Reservoir Dogs that's Two, stuck in the mud. Yes, exactly. Like that is. It's so good in terms of just the contrast between the happy-go-lucky kind of song and the torture scene that's unfolding in front of you. Yes, yes, that contrast, and I think that's what uh, Tarantino was going for. And really, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could make so many choices. And that's that it's so dark. Yes, movie. yes, and there are just so many good options from Tarantino movies. So I'm going to go with another one. Uh, yeah, and me I, too. I know it's a cover, Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon by Urge Overkill in uh, Pulp Fiction. So it's a cover of a Neil Diamond song, and I guess uh, Tarantino was like in a record store in Holland when he saw this EP by Urge Overkill bought it, heard that song and he said he just couldn't get the song out of his brain and worked it into Pulp Fiction in the uh, what was it, the, the Mia uh, Vincent's part of the, the movie so. yeah, 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 no and in fact um, same set I took Son of a Preacher Man from Pulp Fiction oh nice, also a yeah. great song yeah, yeah okay, so we've got Zeppelin, the wrong Zeppelin, Tiny Dancer, Stuck in the Middle with You, Girl, You Be a Woman Soon. What's your fifth? All right. So um, I I had to squeeze Prince in here for Purple Rain. Not not really a concert movie, but, um, you know, I, like I think most people would probably put Purple Rain in because it was kind of the crescendo song in that movie. But uh, to me, it was like When Doves Cry, like earlier in the movie, that, that sort of just captured that movie and that album for me and um you know it's, i yeah, think that was where one. he's like driving his motorcycle around uh the when dubs cry is such a bizarre song like there's so little actually going on in that song and it's and yet it's like a what almost a six minute song too and it's a very intense it song, really is man and he's like but it's such an empty song really there's so little that's actually going on musically yeah i know it's kind of like in a way it's an anti-prince prince song yeah well i was gonna say prince had that ability to go like full-on craziness but also to to, to reduce he had that ability yeah. too and uh the, the one that just missed the cut from a movie i just saw in love promising young young woman with uh carrie mulligan just a like probably oh. my, my favorite from that last oscar crop used to excellent effect at the end angel of the morning by juice newton Ooh, which no kidding. Which apparently I I had no idea that Juice Newton. I had a no idea that wasn't her song. Apparently, it's been like recorded by like seven different people. Playing, and I said I was I was I didn't know you're going to be playing with the Queen of Hearts on this podcast. <laughs> it's all good. Okay, so all right, I, I all right, I've got your list. I mean, I I, I ended up with a lot more than five, but um, I went with Ooh La La. The face, the last scene in Rushmore, 
Oh, yeah. I've always yes. felt like, I've just always felt like that song was so, just, yeah, it was perfect for the scene, but also just like huge props on choosing it. Like, I don't think I ever would have come up with that song for that scene, but it was so good. So I just, much respect to Wes Anderson for coming up with that song, because it was just so good. The way, the way they slow the visual down as the song comes in, it's just amazing. Um, and then another one for me was, are, are, you're a Tarantino guy, so you've seen Jackie Brown? Oh, yeah. Okay, so Delphonics, Didn't I Blow Your Mind This Time, from Jackie Brown. Yeah. The, the way they hit it throughout the movie, and I love that song. Um, another one is Monkey Man from Goodfellas. Oh God, yes. Just because you feel the stress, like 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 his stress is so palpable in that scene when he, because that's the he's like looking up at the helicopter. It's just it's just, the coke binge is like so. That scene is so well done. Leota is so good. Yes. In that scene. No, I, I love that choice. That's a, a great one. Okay, and then Stuck in the Middle with You is my next one. Um, okay, here's one that I really like. Wake Up by Rage Against the Machine at the end of The Matrix. You're not going to believe this. I've never watched The Matrix straight through. I fell asleep oh! during it. I know, man. <laughs> okay, okay, so, okay, a few things. First of all, you must watch The Matrix. <laughs> like, you must. You must watch The Matrix. And, and then at the end, I want you to appreciate the last song at the end. You will, trust me. Um, next one, I already mentioned, Son of a Preacher. Okay, next one is a band you've already brought up, Pixie, Where's My Mind, Last Scene of Fight Club. Oh, good one. Well the done. buildings are coming well down, done, yes. and, she, and she grabs his hand. I, I, that it's so good, like like that one and and Wake Up for me are like two of the best musical endings of movies I've ever seen. Um, let me see what else. Oh, you might I you know the Graduate? Oh, of course. Okay, the pool montage scene with Sound of Silence. Yes, it's so good. Yeah, I'm a I'm a huge. Paul Simon, Paul uh, Simon and Garfunkel yeah, fan. So, me too. Absolutely. Same here. And one of my favorite things to watch on YouTube, my son and I used to watch it all the time. If, if you've never seen it, you should see it. If you like Paul Simon. But Paul Simon and George Harrison together on Saturday Night Live. Oh, nice. No, I, I don't think I've seen that. I'll have to go back Dude, and check that go out. Go search that. Yeah, it's, I'll look at YouTube. You would, I'm telling you right now, you... We'll geek over it. It's really cool. Um, Do you have any... Here's, here's a... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. You, well, you finish. Gonna... Well, this is a sleeper one. Okay. And this this is interesting. This one is actually two movies. Same song, two different movies. The song is a David Bowie song called Cat People. Oh, I remember and... Cat People. Sure. 
It's from the movie Cat People. And I saw that as a kid, and it freaked the shit out of me. And it, it's the it's song like, Cat People? Yep, yeah. from Cat People. Sure. But also from the movie Inglorious Bastards, where they played at the end, where it's very intense. Putting out fires of gasoline in the movie theater. Yeah, that, I mean, anything by Bowie, you can't go wrong. But I do remember, yeah. I also was freaked out by cat people when I was a young man. With <laughs> gasoline! I went and saw it in the theater as like an 11 year old that scared the living shit out of me. Um, but anyway, um, this one is obligatory. Like it's, this isn't even me. It's just like, I think it's just, we have to bring it up, but Simple Minds Breakfast Club. Oh know? yeah, yeah, that's a slam dunk. That's a great one. I think we have to give it, like I'm not a big Simple Minds guy, but I think we gotta give it up for that. Also Clerks, Alice in Chains got me wrong. Good one. That's, that's the scene where we meet Randall. Yes. And he gives the no time for both, Dr. Jones, for the guy. I, um, go ahead. I just saw Clerks again for the first time since the 90s. Uh, it's so good. Yeah, during quarantine. It was fantastic. Um, I watched it with my 20-year-old son. He laughed his freaking ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, the, some of the early Kevin Smith stuff was just like, you know, it was... It, he was kind of an obvious filmmaker. Like, the, the jokes he were going for were... Totally obvious, but they worked nonetheless. I, I'm a huge fan um, of Dogma. Have you ever seen it? Yeah, I, I like I somehow I got a copy of the script like from some website in the '90s before it even came out, and I remember reading it, thinking it was going to be a great movie, and then like to me the acting felt kind of clunky. Like I thought it was a great script, oh, really? and then I saw the movie, oh, and I loved I'm it. like, God, something's missing here. But yeah, it okay. was really well written. I mean, as as someone who was raised Catholic, I can appreciate what Kevin Smith was getting at. <laughs> Buddy Jesus doesn't he just pop? Uh, but anyway, let's move let's move down because I know we're running out of time. Um, here's a sleeper from High Fidelity, the Beta Band, Dry the Rain. You familiar? No, I'm not. Okay, you know the movie, right? Sure. Okay, that's that's the song where he turns to the guy and goes, I will now sell five copies of three EPs by the beta band. <laughs> anyway, next time you watch the movie, you'll, you'll pick it up. Okay. Here's okay. a sleeper from Die Hard, Christmas and Hollis. No, oh, uh, yes, brilliant. Okay, is that good? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, and here's here's my last one. 
and this is a total this is the one where everybody's gonna be like dude really but raindrops keep falling on my head from butch Cassidy. oh yeah perfect yes and i just feel from a cinematography standpoint it's pretty impressive i'm told by my mom that i love that song when i was a little kid like when i was just like <laughs> three or whatever okay but, um yeah so. and now here's but now here's the discussion here are two movies where i couldn't figure out which song to pick one was rocky like the soundtrack to Rocky is so good, I couldn't figure out which one's the best. But like in terms of like use of music in a movie, I don't know if anything's better than Rocky One. Yeah, it's got to be Flying it's High good. now, right? The the montage where he's running go, go, and yeah, through gotta, Philadelphia. Well, yeah, like, but but there are also some scenes like like there's one song like Morning in Philadelphia or something. It's like like all the songs have that same basic structure, and they have this, and a lot of them have the same hook but they bring them in at different times. Like, so I didn't like pick any one particular one, but just the use of music in that movie is so good. Like it brings the emotions up. Like when they start bringing in the music, you're like, it hits you, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And then the other one for me was the Blues Brothers. Like so much good use of music. How could I pick one? Like Shake Your Tail Feather or, or like Aretha doing Think, like it's all so good. Yeah, I do but think, they also... think was the one that came to mind immediately for me, yeah. Right, and that whole scene is really good. Yeah. Um, Can I give you another one where, and yeah. this is pretty germane since I just watched with my wife a uh, Bee Gees documentary last night. If you had to pick one from Saturday Night Fever, which would you oh, pick? Oh, 100% I would pick How Deep Is Your Love. Yeah, and... Of all the songs... Because of the way it brings up in the movie, I think it's strong. Like, I can't even remember the scene that it pairs with in the movie, but I know that of all the, the singles to come off of that soundtrack, and pretty much every one I think charted, How Deep Is Your Love was like on the... That was, I think, number one on Billboard for, what, like two or three months? You know, I, I have to admit, of all my guilty pleasures, Bee Gees are probably one of the bigger ones. you got to watch this Bee Gees doc, Pete. You would just... Oh, is it good? Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. I mean, I just look. I, I know, like, the Bee Gees got blown out. They got worn out. They got caught with the whole disco thing, right? Like, so they became unhip, like, in a second. Um, but the thing is, just just from the standpoint of hooks, the Bee Gees are like, you know, it, it, you know, take the Stones and the Beatles. They hold up with just about anybody else in terms of number of hooks they've written. It's ridiculous. Then they talk about that during this doc. I, I forget who was, I, I think it might have even been Noel Gallagher who was talking about it. Like they were okay. talking to him about the, the Bee Gees and he was like, yeah, they were. Well, a lot of people don't realize how much non-Bee Gees music there is out there that they wrote. Yes. And uh, they wrote songs for Streisand. They wrote, they wrote songs for a lot of different people. Yeah. And they were hit. And just like, I don't think people are really aware of how how many hits they had pre-disco that's true too you no know, like no, they were no, a whole absolutely. thing they were like uh yeah they were they were part of the although you know british slash australian invasion kind of thing yeah well that's the interesting thing about the Bee Gees is they kept reinventing themselves you know like they weren't they weren't beholden to like a style of music they were just sort of beholden to writing popular songs and it was like in the movie eric or in the doc like eric clapton kind of takes credit for talking them into coming to america to start recording because they had kind of hit the wall as like huh. one of those uh you know like in the the british wave bands 
and right, uh, right, right. Yeah, they had hit the wall and like Clapton had just done uh, what's the whatever the address Ocean. Florida. Florida. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, the, so he yeah, had just yeah, done yeah, that yeah. and it had kind of reinvigorated his career. Although I guess you know, giving up drugs had also kind of reinvigorated his career. And uh, right. like he talked the the Bee Gees into moving down to Miami, and like that's when they started to like crank out hits and. All the Saturday night. They got into the studio. Yeah. yeah. The the funny thing was like they had asked the Bee Gees to contribute like two songs to a Saturday Night Fever thing. And uh, like they basically. They ended up being like almost the whole album. Yeah. And they they like recorded the five songs or whatever that they that were on the album. And, and they, just said here, like and, pick two. And they sent like a cassette tape that had all five. And they're like, well. They Shit, took off. These five. are all and, amazing. We're gonna lose use all five. Did the Bee Gees also write some of the music on the album that they didn't sing? I could be wrong. They they, they may it. have. I'm not I'm not sure. I didn't catch yeah. that in the doc. Anyway, this was not meant to be a Bee Gees book, but yeah. <laughs> it's amazing I, I, how it I, turned. I, I, no, no, I, but I, I admit it. I have a little bit of a a guilty pleasure weakness for the Bee Gees. Because the bottom line is their their hooks are like really freaking good. Dude. Um we watched that last night and I actually woke up with like an Andy Gibbs song, like just wired into my brain. That oh. I couldn't get out of my head. It's just, well, I, I hope it wasn't. Um, I just want to be your everything. <laughs> my sister had like all of Sean Cassidy's albums and like all of Andy. Gibbs. Uh, so, yeah. The, yeah, the tiger beat. She was a tiger beat girl. That's good. Yeah. The Andy Gibbs stuff is pretty sad. Cause he, right. Like he should have lived a life of privilege and he like OD'd and shit. Um, but yeah, let's not get into Andy Gibb. That would definitely, <laughs> I definitely think, I definitely got that movie. We start with, we go that. from Aaron Rodgers to Andy Gibb. Quite a transition here, Pete. <laughs> so, okay, here's one song that I didn't mention because I don't think it qualifies, but um, I got you, babe, from Groundhog Day. I thought it would be an interesting one. Oh, great one. one, yeah. But But the thing is, it, it's it's the vehicle it's not the song itself it's what the song does it's also like in the movie like 20 times so i don't think that's really fair but um and i'm sure you enjoyed the cover with uh ali campbell and chrissy hines ub40 and the pretenders oh god. oh god i didn't even know about that um pretenders are sort of pretenders are a band i didn't like during the 80s but i like them more with the passage of time if that makes any sense yeah man it does i mean like I, i've kind of always dug their sound but um yeah man like I, i'm good with like the pretenders the singles and uh i was unhip like i like in like when they were both on the scene i was more pat benatar than chrissy hines and i was wrong <laughs> but and i was more debbie harry i've always been a big debbie Harry. yeah that's i mean that's understandable but uh yeah, she is a really good story too. Being this American girl going over to England and kind of making her way as a music musician there, like such an original voice. Yeah, you know, yeah. like like I, like I don't know where her voice stands up in terms of range and all that stuff, but just in terms of style, she she found something. You know. Oh, definitely, man. I mean, she was she is unique. Like she's got that. Yeah, she's got that kind yeah. of throaty, like that deep sound and. Yeah, yeah, really underrated. But musician. she can really sing. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's actually, you know what? We've only like we've got like only a couple minutes left. But I think you and I both fall into that trap because we we were brought up in the classic rock world where female vocalists sometimes fall by the wayside. You know what I mean? Yes. Because they're just not well represented in classic rock. 
you know, and, and you know, it's like unless you're a heart fan. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like there just weren't that many, you know, Janice, Hart, a couple bands, but who are who who are a couple women who you really you know, who you really like to listen to them sing? Oh man, I like I love Tori Amos's stuff. Uh oh interesting. Yeah, okay. I, I like her. I I dig a lot of Sarah McLaughlin stuff. Uh, I'm a big fan of Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah, I mean do I you have the tri- do you have the Trinity sessions? I don't. I don't. Get it. If you like Sarah McLaughlin, get the Trinity Sessions. It's so good. Yeah, I mean, the 90s guy in me, like, definitely. I mean, I heard Sheryl Crow's uh, All I Want to Do When I Was Day Drinking in a Bar. And that song came <laughs> on, a song about day drinking in a bar. Well, that is going to fit. Yeah. yeah. That's and, actually a pretty uh, good song. It is, man. And, like, I, I totally respect Sheryl Crow. Like, don't own any of her music, but, you know, really... Mm-hmm. Like it, I was it's more a, of a Liz Fair guy. Yeah, I've 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 got um, oh god, what's the uh, what's the album that had uh, Exile in Guyville? Was that the one with uh, Supernova? I might have the other one. Oh, wait, I think it's the other one. White Chocolate Space Egg. I can't think of it. But she's also Whip Smart. Whip, Whip Smart. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah. and and Liz yeah. went to a high school that's maybe like a fifteen minute drive from where we are. Yeah, so. she's a Chicagoan. Yep. Yeah. She, she and Cusack are friends. Yes. Uh, and uh, who else am I forgetting? I mentioned Gwen Stefani. I love her No Doubt stuff. Um, boy, man. I, I... Sorry, I'm putting you on the spot. No, not what, at all. Not couple, at all. I mean, I'll give you a couple of mine. Okay. Well, how go about, ahead. Do you have any? Do you have any old school divas that you listen to, like Ella, Billy, Etta? Oh. Are you in a re- well? You already mentioned a re- Well, I mean, like my uh, my mom's record collection always had like a lot of Carol King, Linda <laughs> Ronstadt, like this the seventy. Well, like huge fan of Carol. Yeah, King. yeah, huge fan. They're spectacular. Like I have all of Carol King's records. Yeah, Carol King. Like I, I've been getting into seventies female singers lately. Carol King, uh, Laura Nyro. Mm. Um, you ever heard of? Ju- you ever heard of Judy Sills? No pretty original stuff you should check it out very it's actually judy sill i think okay um very original i'll send you some of her stuff um very offbeat and different she's got a song called i think it's the kiss which is just an amazing song like like truly an amazing song um so so there's that um who are some female singers I'm into? Oh, by the way, Amy Winehouse. If I don't mention her, like, oh, I, I've got to be ashamed. Okay. Like that is the I, that's my wife and I both love. Amy. Dude, and talk about good day drinking music and like she, you know, <laughs> she definitely kings Cheryl Crow in that regard, no question. Yeah, yeah. I think when you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm drunk and I'm not going to rehab, you win. Um. So anything else? Anything we forgot, man? No. How about this? Because you asked me this on your show, are there any bands? Here's the last question I'm going to ask you, okay. and you're going to get the final word. I'm not going to chime in on this. But are there any bands where you're like, I wish everybody else loved them as much as I did? Oh man, is it so much? Cr- like Cracker is definitely one of those bands. Oh okay, I mean, okay. People, like go out and listen to Kerosene Hat and the Spin Doctors. Spin Doctors are my best. Spin Doctors are way up there for sure, man. I love the Spin Doctors in the 90s. And then I just kind of... The thing people don't realize about the Spin Doctors is that they are amazing players. 
Like their live shows are ridiculously good. Yeah, man. Like, like I, their bassist. They're, they're seen as like the Tommy Two Tone of the '90s. But they're so much more than that. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I just I think I mentioned them. Both of these things like reiterates. I will reiterate um, albums that I mentioned are I think are masterpieces. Kerosene Hat by Cracker and Warehouse Songs and Stories by Husker Du. Go get those albums. Okay. Give them a try, and if okay. you don't like them, hey, you know what? Tell me you don't. Let's like do them. one more. I will, but let's do one more thing because this is, and I'm generally very against this. I don't, you, uh, maybe you've noticed, but I tend to try to really emphasize the positive stuff with music. Like I'm not big into like, who do you hate? Yeah. But but having said that, who do you hate? <laughs> who do I hate? Like, are there any bands where you're like, everybody loves these guys, and I just don't get it? Dave Matthews Band. Ooh, okay, that's a good one. That's a Big good time. one. And and you know what? I'm sort of with you on that, but I'm not at all. Like, I I actually really like Dave Matthews Band, but I get sick of it really fast. Yeah, and I feel bad about it because I have an ex roommate from Chicago who is like the best music fan I know. A guy who saves his ticket stubs going to shows. A guy who uh, at his like right. rehearsal dinner afterwards we went like me. <laughs> yeah, at his rehearsal dinner afterwards we like eat dinner at this place in Chicago, go to a bar next door. And like, all of a sudden we're talking to these guys who are randomly there. And it was like a, a bunch of guys from the, uh, Oh God, they're a jam band. That's something Mississippi all-stars. Oh yeah. Like he just, That's Robert. Yeah. He just That's knew Robert, these guys from yeah. going to their shows and all of a sudden they're just hanging out with Is that us. Robert Randolph. It might be like, I couldn't tell you. I don't like, I've heard them through him, but I don't really know no, much about you. the band. No, Robert Randolph is and the family band. Yeah, and so th- anyway, my my old roommate like he digs Dave Matthews, and I'm just like I can't get into him. I hate the North Mississippi All Stars. Where have I heard that name so many times? Yeah, I mean they they probably open for like Wilco and uh, yeah, maybe that's what it is. You know, Dead and Company or other. I don't know if someone was going to have an right. opening act for a jam band, like they would be the perfect candidates. Right, um, right, right. So yeah, I, I Dave is one that definitely comes to mind, for sure. But what? Why do I know that band? Did they used to like open up for the Crows or something like they that? They might have. They might have. Maybe that's what it is. I know that band name so well. Um, okay, so Dave Matthews band for you. Yeah. Anybody else? Oh, man, uh, you kind of brought him up earlier. I'm just like. And, and I don't know why they haven't. Like, I know Tom Morello's good and everything. I know, like, Rage just oh, okay. Rage just never clicked with me. I don't hate him. Okay. Hate, is, hate I mean, would be I... way too strong, but, like, they just never... I know a lot of good friends who really loved Rage, and it just it well, never I'm, hit I'm me right. Well, I'm the same way. Like, like I, well, Rage has, like, four or five songs where I just love them. But there's also a lot of empty space in their music that I don't always warm up to. Yeah. So I, I, I sort of get what you're saying. Um, but the band for me, and I know people who love this band and it's like fingernails on a chalkboard for me, but, um, counting crows. Mm, yes. I, I just, I just can't, I just can't. It's funny. I, yeah, I never really, and it's nothing. And I get it. I, I'm not trying to say they're a terrible band or anything like that, but I just can't. I'm with you, man. Uh, maybe it's just like the Adam Duritz vocals or whatever. But, yeah, uh, I think maybe it is. I think that could be it. 
Yeah. That could be it. And they've got new material, man. They just played a new Counting Crows thing on uh, one of the Sirius XM channels over the weekend that I A got. buddy of mine was talking about it, and I was like, ugh, Counting Crows. <laughs> um, and, but you know what? Look, they're a good band. They've sold a ton of stuff. Tons of people like them. I'm not trying to rip on them. But yeah. But that's the thing about music. Sometimes, like, it just doesn't work for you, you know? And and I hate to say it, I'm like a little bit like that with Oasis. Yeah. Like some of the some of the good stuff, yeah. But it's like a little too I don't know. I can totally understand it, although if you Epic uh, is Epic the word I'm looking could for? Could be. I mean yeah. like the album What's the Story Morning Glory. You've heard that in its yeah. entirety, right? Oh yeah, it's a good album. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like it, I, it would no, be no, hard no, to no, understand no, if no, someone no. listened to that album to me and didn't like it. Like I would be, I would be surprised by that. Well, the the problem with like Oasis, maybe it's like that's one of those bands that got blown out during a period of time. Oh yeah, and I mean they're assholes too. Like that's a big part of it too. Like, <laughs> See, I never got into them. Yeah, Lee, well, Gallagher. Liam Gallagher is a, a total asshole. His brother Noel's a little bit better you know better. edgy but like a, a better guy but like at the time they uh, were insufferable well, we're way over time yes but if if you've got it up i think right now both of us off the top of our heads give me a couple bands that you think aren't really like like these can be well-known bands you know what let's do this i'll go first okay i mean i'm gonna give you three bands that i feel like should have more fans okay Okay. I'll go with, I already mentioned Yola Tenga. And I'm going to mention two bands that are connected. Pavement and the Silver Juice. Oh, God. So three three early 90s bands that I feel like all deserve more love. Yeah, Pavement totally came to mind with me, too. Uh, okay. We'll give you credit for Pavement, too, then. Give me two. <laughs> that was a tough one. Or even one more. But you know what I mean? Like, for me, music is, like, one of the things about music, like, for me, I'm always trying to turn people on to Elliot Smith, because I love Elliot Smith. But, you know, he's sort of depressive, and people aren't into it. But, like, to me, one of the best things you can do musically is is give people stuff they haven't heard that they love. All you right. know what I mean? Yeah, so. I love, it when my, I love it when my friends are like, Pete, I got something for you. And it's like, oh, dude, that is awesome. Thank you. I'll, I'll that's pull, my favorite thing in music. Yeah, I'll pull one out, and I'm not sure why people don't appreciate them as more of a lasting band. Like, to me, one of the best bands of the 80s, and, uh, like, I, I don't think they're... I don't know. I don't think they've stood the test of time with a lot of people, but I would argue that this guy has one of the best singing voices of, of anyone. I'd put it right up there with my favorite vocalists, uh, like David Bowie and Paul Simon. Echo and the Bunnymen with Ian McCullough. Echo and the Bunnymen, okay. Yeah, like they, I mean, they had some great hits. Like they spanned, you know, 10 plus years. Like I'm kind of surprised uh, that they are not more popular than they are in hindsight, even in a nostalgic you know what? sense. You're going to have to, you're going to, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I know Echo and the Bunnymen. I've heard them, but the, it's not a band I've ever spent any time in. And this is good symmetry because this brings us back to High Fidelity because I think in that movie, doesn't he recommend to the guy who like wants a new Echo album? He's like, have you ever heard Jesus and the Mary Chain? Yes. Jesus and Mary Chain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's right. So, is, 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 so here's the question. Is Jack Black slash Barry right? Uh, if you're an Echo fan, is Jesus and the Mary Chain a good album? Yeah, I think so. 
Okay. I wasn't big into Jesus and Mary Chain, but uh, I, neither neither was I. It, they were they were definitely like associated acts. Okay, man. Well, listen, we've gone way over time, but I'm posting this whole damn thing. So, awesome. Um, but at some point, you and I need to do this again. I think we need to just keep approaching music from different angles and keep finding new ways to talk about stuff. Um, but it's so much fun talking music with you guys. Yeah, likewise, Pete. I mean, we could have gone for like three or four hours, no question. Yeah, no, like, like we've totally lost track of time. Like, I'm just going to post this whole thing. Maybe I'll do it in two parts. But like... Like I, here's the funny thing about this conversation is I feel like we're just getting warmed up. <laughs> oh, I know, man. Like we haven't even stretched back into like 70s and 80s, like right. 70s like classic I, rock stuff that much. Right. Like if you and I weren't connected by the internet right now, and if instead you and I were just like sitting up in my man cave and we were pulling from the same bottle of Elijah Craig. Oh my God. I think. Yeah, I think this conversation would go on for at least another two hours. <laughs> um, and it, at some point, at some point, we need to do that. Whether it's me in Chicago or you in New York, we should get together. And you can actually, I think at this point, you can, I can sense it, but you can feel the alcohol in my vocals. Yeah, I'm kind of there too. It's, it's there. Uh, it's there. Yeah. Like, and it's, this is, this is, I'm a little bit loose, which is good. Yeah, and it's nice that the uh, possibility of an in-person meetup is not just wish casting at this point, now that we're starting to come out of this and... Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I, I, one of my big dreams is to take one. My father's a motorcycle geek, right? He's got like 15 motorcycles. Um, and one of my dreams is to take one of my dad's bikes and to ride it around the country and visit all my fantasy friends that I only know via the interwebs. Oh, man. So at some point. But the only bad thing is you might have to put me up for the night, man, if I come through. Either you or Silva. We'll have to put me up yeah, you can you can count in. on it, and we'll get together with Evan before, <laughs> who I've had the pleasure of uh, drinking in person with a couple of times. So yeah, yeah, I want to do you, Silva, Chicago booze, and some Chicago pizza. Yeah, let's let's book it, man. All right, good deal. We'll definitely do that. So Pat, thanks a bunch for coming on the show. I, seriously, I like you can hear it in my voice. Like I want to keep talking, but we can't. We're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's already way too much podcast here. <laughs> I'm already looking forward but, to the next time, Pete. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so thanks, buddy. So hey, folks, that's going to do it for this episode of the Rotobomb Podcast. The one thing Pat and I didn't talk about, but we're going to talk about it when we get off, is what's the intro song going to be to this pod and what the outro is going to be. So I don't know right now, even though it's actually playing. I don't know what it is yet. Something I'm going to do later. So that's it. Thanks for listening to the Robon Podcast. We'll see you next time.